everyone okay so i'm going to play my little introduction i know those of you on the radio are like wow we've heard this song how many times story throughout uh your time with us on the radio because it's very important and uh the important was the video uh that i was showing that goes along with it now um like i said earlier youtube has banned me the ability to stream live to stream live so this video i'll upload after i'm done and I will condense it. But for now, like I've said, you can watch uh, the videos on Twitch, on Periscope and Facebook on Twitch. Just like remember to subscribe to President Trump's channel on Twitch. That's the reason I created a Tory says there is because he's on Twitch. Um, I will be going to D live too. And so, um, you know, uh, we'll take it from, you know, well, you know what? They can't stop us. No matter how much they try, they cannot stop us. That's the that's the reality. So we're waiting for the four horsemen uh, to testify today b- b- before the House Judiciary Committee. So that should have started 10 minutes ago, and it hasn't. So I have that open, ready, so when they start, we can get, we can get going with it. Now, for those of you, uh, you know, Twitch is very easy to sign up for. It's very easy to stream. Uh, it's one of the uh, best uh, platforms that one can use. I use it for my gaming all, that, all, all the time. So um, you go to twitch.com. And find Tori says. That's basically it. Um, it's Tori says all one word, no underscore. Um, I, like I said, I've been using this for my uh, video gaming under another name, of course. So all you'll see is a lot of video games and a bunch of streaming in general. Uh, but it is one of the best platforms for streaming because they have been able to create great algorithms uh, to um, uh, allow people to, uh, how can I say, stream with good uh, bandwidth. Um, so I've just put in the chat the link to where my Twitch TV is. Uh, I, I, I stream you guys. I've been, I've been gaming cause I'm a gamer. Okay. I invented games. <laughs> oh, I really hate this time. I really, you know, sometimes I, I I'm, I'm, I'm like many, I love the indulgence of what this reality, uh, has to offer. Uh, the smell of air when you step off the airplane, that change, the taste of food, um, pain, um, th- so many things that we get uh, to enjoy. So many things we get to enjoy in this reality, though I hate this time. This time, I, you know, I always ask, hey, why am I? I hate this time. I hate the fact that I'm moving. You know what? We came back at this time because it was very specific. So, um, you know, we understand that. So let's just get into some news until they start. So what's important for us is, uh, first of all, uh, well, I want to talk about Chief Boyd because, you know, Chief Boyd didn't kill himself. And this is very important because Tina Chen is entrenched uh, with Chief Boyd. Uh, that is a very big deal. But um, 
I'll start with our president boarding uh, the... Boarding Marine One and his little side by presser. Here we go. I'm going to play that for us. I see a lot of you have jumped on Twitch. Great. Uh, I subscribe only to the president on that one. Um, It's great to watch his stuff. And just so you know, you know, you can go to President Trump's website and sign up for like virtual events. I'm actually going to sign. I I signed up for one and got a ticket entry and I'll be streaming that live as well. uh, For those of you that don't have a ticket, Uh, you know, and it has to do with his campaign. So if anybody wants to watch, that's great. Okay, so let's listen to our president talk here are you withdrawing troops from germany let's just read the i'm gonna read it yeah one it's going five uh uh-huh president trump says he says he only wants to take care of the people Look who's with him. So are you saying you want to pass a short-term bill? They wanted him to say that she'll probably be on her back most of it, but whatever. Short-term bill? Are you saying you want to pass a short-term bill? Are you saying you want to pass a short-term bill? Yep, you're wearing a mask. Can't hear you. Do you want to pass a short-term bill? What about the FBI money? Oh my gosh, you didn't just say that. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say something. So they're upset about the FBI money. That's for Operation Legend, which was just announced that they expanded to Cleveland, Michigan, and um, um, somewhere else. I'll pull it up, which was pretty incredible. Let's see if this portion of the video, because we're watching it together, um, has less helicopter noise. Hold on. Okay. 
they haven't paid their fees, they haven't paid their NATO fees, and uh, they're way off, and they've been off for years, and they have no intention of paying it, and the United States has been taken advantage of on trade and on military and on everything else for many years, and I'm here, and I've been straightening it out. But Germany owes billions and billions of dollars to NATO. And why would we keep all of those troops there? And now Germany's saying it's bad for their economy. Well, it's good for our economy. Germany is delinquent. They're at 1%. They should be at 2%. And actually, everybody should be at 4%, not 2%, because 2% is too low. But they're at 1%. And they've taken advantage of us for many years. And you think that's bad? They take worse advantage on trade. And I was all set to fix that, and then we got hit with the China plague. But we'll be fixing it. The China plague. Uh, this country wouldn't have a chance. Our country wouldn't have a chance. Now we'll see what happens. Are you, are you dropping the demand for FBI money? The FBI building? So the FBI building has been trying to build a new building for many years. Right. Many, many years. They were thinking about going very far away, but you have to be near the Justice Department. You don't want to be too far away where they have to drive for an hour, hour and a half. Because they had a site way out in Virginia, way out in Maryland. And I said, the best place is right where it is. The best piece of property in Washington. So I said, we'll build a new FBI building. Let's build a new FBI building. Either a renovation of the existing, or even better, would be a new building. Right. So we have that in the bill. It should say, people have wanted a new FBI building now for 15 or 20 years. But Republicans don't want it in the bill. Uh, then Republicans should go back to school and learn. You need a new building. It's a bad building. It's a dangerous building. You have slabs falling off. It's not a good building from the inside. It's a very expensive building. They need a new building. And we can do it very easily. To me, it would be very... I would make sure you build a great building at a fraction of the cost, and they can have it done quickly. So the FBI building is not new. This is something they've been talking about for many, many years. But that gets to those truths. We're looking at TikTok. We're thinking about making a decision. We're going to be watching the hearings today very closely. Because there's no question that what the big tech companies are doing is very bad. I'm going to also add on that. TikTok is under TikTok is under review. They're making a recommendation. So do you regret tweeting about that doctor, Mr. President? Do you regret tweeting about that doctor yesterday? Stella Emanuel, the doctor, do you wish you had not retweeted that? I was that? very impressed with her and other doctors that stood with her. I think she made sense, but I know nothing about it. I just saw her on, you know, making a statement to very respected doctors. She was not alone. She was making a statement about hydroxychloroquine with other doctors that swear by it. They think it's great. So she was not alone. Basically, CNN made it like, oh, I said this, I said that. She was with a whole group of people. And you ought to tell your network the reason their ratings are so bad is because the coverage is so poor. If CNN would be honest, and that goes for MSDNC also. 
But your network is so dishonest in its coverage on just about everything. And there's an example. I was very impressed by her. Know nothing about her. I had never seen her before. But certainly you can put her up and let her have a voice. So what they did is they took down their voice. Now, they seem to never take down the other side. They only take down conservative voices. This is good. And with hydroxy, all I want to do is save lives. I don't care if it's hydroxy or anything else. All I want to do is save lives. If we can save lives, that's great. Now, one thing, we're doing very well on vaccines and very well on therapeutics. So that's very important. But I happen to be a believer in hydroxy. I used it. I had no problem. I happen to be a believer. Many, many people agree with me. A great test that came out from the Ford Clinic in Michigan, very respected. We'll see how it is. Did you talk to Russia about a vaccine? Well, I'm thinking about it, but we're picking a location fairly soon. The local field is going to have to be somewhere in the pipe, something we're thinking about. So, Dr. Germany, are those troops, those signals of extent for Russia, those troops were always there to defend Europe against Russia. You're right. They're there to protect Europe. They're there to protect Germany. All right, so we're going to stop that. He's reiterating they wanted to get him on the record to denounce, uh, you know, this amazing woman uh, who stood up and spoke the truth. See, they will use your faith against you to shame you. They will tell you, can you not see the miracles that we do for you? Can you not see what we provide for you? How are you so dumb and crazy to believe in a God that demons are real. How dare you see they will shame you. So the faith that you should have is always your own faith, but have faith that humanity, right? That humanity will come together. So, um, like I said, I will be uploading this on YouTube later, uh, cause I'm not allowed, uh, to enjoy live streaming anymore. Cause I live streamed Tucker's video. And I've been live streaming it and they've been tearing it down ever since. Uh, so uh, I have put it on my subscribe star. So it's there forever and ever. I don't have echoes. I need to get like an echo machine, like uh, uh, quite frankly. Okay, so here's uh, we're still waiting on this uh, conference to start. Everyone's live, live and waiting. So let's start with consequences that happen when you talk uh, too much. And you shouldn't. This is where we get insert Sandman. Okay. Remember I had told you that Brian Stetler is in a lot of trouble. And he's going to be in a lot of trouble. And he is in a lot of trouble. Take a listen to this news report. If it wants to play. His partner, Lynn go. Wood, I have recently retained as one of my personal lawyers. I consider you guys, Charles Harder, the best in the business. Uh, tell us about this case in particular. Well, Sean, thanks for having me on. I mean, this case with CNN and the retweet uh, that, that came out recently uh, talking about the settlement or characterizing the settlement, I think was a big mistake on CNN's part. I don't think uh, Brian Stelter should have been commenting on it. I think it showed poor judgment on his behalf to do so. Clearly, he doesn't have any idea what the terms of the settlement are, yet he showed some poor judgment in, in commenting you know, on it, not knowing what he was really talking Let me about. Ask you and, this. Uh, I really. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I've known Lynn Wood since the Richard Jewell case. I was in Atlanta in that case. I was one of the few people that didn't rush to judgment 
and that taught me a valuable lesson in my career. Um, I'm honored that he's, I've been able to retain him as my own personal attorney. He's great as what he, at what he does. Uh, I know one thing about Lynn Wood. There's those saying, oh, it's a nominal son. I don't, some, I don't believe that for a second. I, and I know you can't disclose it, but I know Lynn Wood. Lynn Wood wouldn't settle for a nominal sum ever under any circumstances. You think I might be in the right? Am I, am I over the target? Well, as you said, I can't really comment. And we did agree with CNN and the Washington Post not to characterize the settlement. But I know Lynn as well. He's a fabulous lawyer and uh, he does great work. And it's a pleasure to work with him on these cases. Yeah, he does this out of passion. What they did to this young man, he, this young man handled all of this perfectly is unconscionable. The difference between me and this young man is he's not a public This young man is going to be one of the richest young men we know and uh, that's because they slandered him and that's how it went, right? But here's the thing. When there's civil cases, there's always discovery. So the question here is, Brian Stetler violated an NDA, right? He violated an agreement that CNN had with him to not talk about things. Right. And he did it. So this is where enter Sandman comes in. This is how you get things. I mean, for me, anytime one of these crazy trafficking Gestapos uh, came at me, they would come at me with the weakest freaking lawsuit. Oh, you know, I'm the attorney general and I'm going to come down on you. And you did this, like got me for uh, said, 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 I did this, that, that. And I'm like, well, why are you saying that? Why don't you just go ahead and criminally prosecute me if I did all that? Why are you going to civil court? Civil court says, judge says, why are you here? Why are we in civil court? If she did all this, take it to criminal court. And they sit there like, oh, we're not looking to prosecute for crime. Then what the hell are you looking for? Silence. The only thing they were looking for is to discredit and create records so they can have a narrative. This is how it works. This is legit. I have an attorney general all up. I have had the largest colonoscopy and they still can't do diddly squat. <laughs> diddly squat. I say this with, this is like 100% happening. Ma, the judge even found me in content. Right, right? Oh, you're in contempt right now, young lady. Uh, why? Because I am not going to just give up my rights to him? Of course. And I'm like, then do it. Whatever. Do it. See, this is how you have to respond. Judges are the most corrupt. See, if they took it to criminal, right? Guess what? Discovery showing all the human and child trafficking rings this attorney general has been covering for would have blown him right out of the water. That's why he wouldn't take it. He could say whatever he wants, but he knows I'm right. He knows about the farms. He knows about executing my witness. He knows everything. But, 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 but. I digress. This is, this is how they fight. They will ridicule you. They will slander you. They will send an army of trolls. But you know what? Huh? The worst one is, is when they come to you with gifts. With, hey, look at me. I can cure this. Hey, look at me. I'm going to make you rich. And they pander to that side of humans that, you know, everybody loves. Everybody loves. Everybody. Money. Security. Right? That's the way it is. Money and security. 
and health. If they can promise you that you can be healthy, if they can promise you that you have food on the table, if they can promise you you'll have a roof over your head, regardless of what that is, you will go for it. So this is where you need to be strong in your faith to resist that temptation, <laughs> the temptations, the gluttony. I, I, the, there was a video that I showed at the beginning, which was the land of confusion uh, by Disturbed. And I urge all of you that just heard it and didn't see it to watch it because it shows one dark figure from the shadows that was in chains that came out and rallied up the people to go against this big monopoly man with a monocle. How many times have I said the monopoly man always had a monocle and yet now he has no monocle, right? You remember that? You know how people are talking about what, what do they call them? Mandela effects? No, it's actually timelines converging. So uh, it's important that people watch it and watch the shape of the monocle. It's not happenstance, happen chance, right? Same word, different spellings. So it's not happenstance or happen chance. Now, uh, another thing before we get into it, I want to play um, a little clip from Fox. Well, well, it's about Gomert. But before we get there, I wanted to say something. Rudy Giuliani just like tweeted out earlier today that um, let me uh, that he's going to have Roger Stone and he's going to talk about how they, uh, you know, try to bribe him to um, flip on the president. If those have you guys heard my Roger Stone interview, you should, because that's where I was going with it. The hot boxing, because we have eyes and ears everywhere. We see everything. <laughs> it was it was pretty, you know, and they thought that they had him. They thought that they had him, right? They thought that they had him in a box and he would have flipped because again, see, the thing is, the thing is that people like Roger Stone that skirt the orbits of everybody are considered to be people that are easily swayed, which is where they made their mistake. People like that, that can skirt the orbits of everything, right? Have their own moral code and they are solid. So solid. You cannot waver that. You cannot change that. <laughs> I'm just saying. So this is where they messed up. Okay, someone's, oh, people are constantly asking, YouTube is not allowing me to live stream, I will upload later. Okay, uh, so um, here's where we get into the curious thing. Remember how I told you, oh, isn't that just peachy? How O'Brien, this amazing guy, right? This amazing guy who is incredible. I mean, looking at him, he just gushes goodness. Seriously, just looking at him. He gushes good, you can see it with your eyes. Well, uh, he got coronavirus, so he couldn't attend a meeting. And guess what happened today? I guess, you know, this happened. In Texas, Congressman Louis Gohmert live with an update as major flooding is expected today in Texas. Welcome to the show. As always, can you give us the latest on the cleanup effort with respect to Hannah and what's going on in Texas right now? Well, yeah. The tough part is that it comes on top of COVID and South Texas has been hit pretty hard. You know, uh, uh, a lot of people have come across the border and brought COVID in. Uh, that's an area that's really was already hit hard. 
But uh, if you'll recall, whether it's Harvey or other hurricanes, Texas does pretty well in dealing with the emergencies. Governor Greg Abbott has been completely on top of it. As you know, the hurricane was downgraded since it hit land, but it still brought a lot of rain, and that's been the biggest problem. Uh, the winds have been downgraded, but the rain keeps coming. It's headed toward northern Mexico, but uh, you know we've got the emergency personnel there ready and, and helping. Hey, Congressman, let me ask you, obviously, uh, being here in Washington and covering Congress, we will all be watching to see whether or not yep. Mitch McConnell unveils finally the COVID-19 plan. Looks like the White House and the Republicans in the Senate are getting uh, closer to agreement. What are your thoughts as you sit on the House side? Uh, well, we're concerned about uh, the giveaway programs to help the Democratic Party. We've seen some of those in the prior uh, COVID legislation. And of course, uh, both Republican senators and Republican House members are very concerned about the efforts of Democrats to uh, stifle the economy by open, leaving open the door to litigation, just overwhelming employers and, and businesses that open. So that's been a, a top priority. And the question is, how much giveaway programs that don't necessarily help the the uh, covid victims uh is uh, the house democrats and schumer going to demand in order to uh get the the immunity from liability congressman i gotta get your take on one more thing you've never been accused of not being a fighter uh we're in this moment where statues are being torn down buildings being renamed cancel culture everywhere. And you took to the House floor. I actually had this video sent to me by a couple of people. Uh, you took to the House floor and introduced a resolution that would ban the Democrat Party. Uh, explain. Well, everybody knows, uh, or they should if they don't, that slavery has been pushed and protected by the Democratic Party. That's where it come from. That's where the defenses come from. And it wasn't just in the 1800s after the Civil War. They're the ones that have been protecting it. They're the ones that pushed Jim Crow laws. They're the ones that did not support the 14th or 15th Amendment at all. No support from the Democratic Party. And uh, even the 1924 uh, Democratic National Convention was called the Klan Bank because of the Ku Klux Klan's influence. That were an extension of the Democratic Party. So if we're going to hold the Democrats to the same standards that they want to hold everybody else to and get rid of any vestiges of slavery, it means getting rid of the Democratic Party. And so we're just trying to hold them to the same standards they want to hold everybody else to. Somehow I... Uh suspect that the speaker nancy pelosi disagrees with this i'm not sure that's going to see the light of day uh just, just finally though the point i understand you're making do you believe congressman that it is the democrats that are trying to sort of hold out uh on significant legislation beyond the november election yeah absolutely that's exactly what they're trying to do uh their their strategy is if we can keep America in turmoil, the riots, the economic uh, problems that COVID has caused, uh, then it's better for getting rid of Donald Trump. And it's sad, but it appears they don't care so much about letting America heal because uh, they want the political advantages they think come 
from seeing America devastated just so they can get back in power. Uh, that is horrendous. The- it is horrendous. They have locked you in your homes. They have destroyed your businesses, your ability to see friends and loved ones. I can't even see my daughter. You know, she can't come to me. I can't go to her, you know, and this is what they do. They will lie, lie, lie and lie again. Huh? And they don't care if you die. Why did they need to remove that video? This is what you have to think about. Why did they have to? They had to remove that video because they are all complicit. They want you dead. They want you gone. And the thing is, the thing is, unfortunately, President Trump has been in in ensnared, I would say, within their plan that was meant for evil. But boy, is this a boomerang. I'm saying this is the land of confusion. You don't know what to think. <laughs> Did you guys see Madonna's post? I will read it to you. Okay, Madonna posted something that'll make your skin crawl. This is the land of confusion. She says, set us all free. But some people don't want to hear the truth, especially people in power who stand to make money from this long drawn out search for a vaccine, which has been proven and has been available for months. They would rather let fear control them and let the rich get richer and the poor get sick and sicker. Get this woman. This woman is my hero. Thank you, Stella. Emmanuel says Madonna. Now, how's that for a curveball? When I tell you they are there, there are so many layers of psyops on you. It's ridiculous. I mean, I finally succeeded in getting it tripped in and putting it out there. So you guys know we're here. I hope you were listening carefully what I was saying. So that way you could see it after I went to bed. It's important per se bed. Because I hardly ever sleep. Um, if you go to my subscribe star, I will be putting videos that are banned. I have found a way to compress them in a way because there is a size limit even on subscribe star to put information out. Everything is archived by the incredible WH Tempest. Uh, he puts them on as podcasts. This is why I talk about everything I play because it's not just visual. Remember, the number one thing that keeps your body united, those atoms that are all working together to create one cell and then to keep all the cells together is frequency. Sound is uh, most important. Remember, it was always the sirens that would get to man and then they would screech, right? <laughs> so where, where are these four henchmen? They're not there. It is important that we remember what that story tells us, that, that uh, chapter in Revelation, Remember, books are solid knowledge, knowledge, knowledge that (laughs) knowledge that only few can understand. And remember that most, most of the books that are written have been written by those that can yield the power of the pen. And that is not the average man. That book that was originally uh, written was done so. (laughs) And then rewritten and then rewritten and then rewritten until it's completely different. So people are saying to do bit shoot. I will. I am looking for a platform to put all these videos for now. I'm going to be streaming here. If I can stream on bit shoot, that would be great too. But you have me on the radio uh, Four horsemen. 
White horse, red horse. Wait, there's a video for that. Hold on. <laughs> I will find it. Um, it's pretty interesting the way he lays it out. But what you have to think is, how does Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Apple tie into it? Everyone's going to be like, well, hold on a second, Tori. What about, what about Dorsey? Huh. There's always bait. There's always a Trojan horse. See, what people don't seem to understand is the real story behind the Trojan horse. See, uh, back in the days, they used to say things to explain things they didn't understand in methods that were simpler. A Trojan horse. <laughs> we'll talk about Troy, Helen of Troy and the horse. For now, let me play this clip. This is a um, a pretty interesting video uh, segment and sound, and I will uh, read uh, the scripture portions for those that are listening on the podcast. It's just important that we remember written words, regardless of what religion you subscribe to. Uh, it's what makes sense to you, right, at the end of the day. Here we go. Mm. Revelation 6, 1, and I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse, a white horse, it says, yes, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forthcoming to conquer. Sounds like uh, the forbidden apple. So the fourth, uh, the, so, so, so the first horse is what? Seeding the earth. Um, and we know that the seed of knowledge is um, what everyone always discusses, right? the seed of knowledge. Now, Revelation 6, 4 says, and there went out another horse that was red. The power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Think, where is it? On what platform do you see the most malicious content? the most malice from people that you would never think were malicious, where wars between people begin, where discussions are constantly fueling anger and hate and division. There go your second actual horse. And the Revelation 6, 5 says, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard a third beast say, come and see. Uh, that went pretty quick for me to read it to you. And he said, come and see. Oh, geez. Why is my media is not? Mm -mm -mm. And I beheld in low a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. This was the horse of famine. And I heard voice in the midst of the fourth beast say a measure of wheat, uh, for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and wine. So who is dominating right now the consumer industry with this pandemic? 
we all know. Insert Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Mr. Amazon himself. Revelation 6-7, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. His name that sat on him was Death and Hell followed with him. So the fourth horse came in and destroyed everything. First horse came in and provided all this prosperity. The seed that was needed then came in the horse that would allow malice and division and fire social media to drive. And then came the one that would dominate and spread famine and control the sustenance of man. And then came the fourth one where destruction followed and that would be the one encompassing them all like that beast from the movie dune with the pimples the big fat blob that had everything included from a to z alphabet anyone so this is in fact pretty interesting huh if you take it that way just to understand just how you know this pale horse is there. This is why I say, hey, this reminds me of the four horsemen today. What we're seeing, it's actually quite biblical because all of them represent a portion of it. So this is, you know, this is, this is pretty interesting, you guys. I mean, I, I don't think people can put one and one together that easy these days because we are so confused. We, it is so discombobulated, the information that we are get, getting from where we are getting it. I mean, come on. Madonna sat there and was telling people to have hope. Madonna sat there and pushed it forward. We have turmoil everywhere. And it's not just in the United States, but, you know, microfocus, right? Microfocus. Microfocus. We're focusing on the small area because it is hard to conceive just how massive this is. It is massive. You saw them yesterday scathing during the uh, presser, right? It was it was so incredible that they the, the presser was incredible. I mean, you have to admit it was showing you their teeth showing you exactly who they are and telling you who they are. That is what is horrible, that they tell you exactly who they are, exactly who they are. No qualms, no questions, nothing. <laughs> they were foaming at the mouth. All they wanted was to get the attorney general in there so they can scold him publicly. That is all they wanted to do. Ah, uh, Yes. Technology will come, will come. I mean, you know, yeah, I did drop out for a second. I actually had to uh, because uh, technology has been chasing and pinging and freezing and uh, pushing <laughs> against me. It took me forever last night to let you guys know that no one has anything. So someone was reading about passports. Yes. Let's talk about that for a second. Passports. So everyone's saying, oh, well, Tom Hanks is hiding in Greece. He's a Greek citizen. Let me tell you something about the Greeks. Back in the 90s, there was a man called Duris. Duris had raped a child and the child died. 
he went to jail. Within a day of being in prison, murderers, murderers, cold-blooded murderers, had taken that man and raped him with cutlery. They found him dead, and there were objects popping out of any orifice you could see. Tom Hanks would not last one day in Greece. Now, speaking of passports, passports, you believe, are the ultimate identity of one. They are biometric. They are globally acknowledged. They can give you access in and out of a nation. Yes, they are the golden, <laughs> the golden ticket. Many passports, in fact, are used in the banking industry solely for the purpose to open up a bank account. So these passports are the golden key for those that wish to launder money. Ask yourself, during this pandemic, what nations, where in the world, have they issued an immense amount of passports? <laughs> I would guide you down to the Caribbean islands. See, because Tom Wheeler has an account down there that starts with the letter Z for Zulu. And so one only needs to look, one only needs to look in the right place. Today, Mr. Amazon published uh, a piece talking about how Brennan is not allowed to publish a memoir. How Brennan was trying to communicate with Gina Haspel and he just couldn't. Well, we already know that Brennan is communicating with Gina Haspel through General Hayden. Psyop much? Huh. And he's supposed to continue? Huh. This, this, all that you are seeing is a show. It's a facade. The war we're in the middle of it. We've been in the middle of it. This is a very long one. And when we say it's between good and evil, it's another five months. Wait, let's see. Today is 97 and counting. 97 and counting. This is why I will be archiving. I will be spreading and I will be on any platform I can because even my most sheltered platform is constantly under attack. So, it is July, August, September, October, November, December, five months. And I told you back in 2018, I told you back in 2018 that what you need to remember is that this reset of the economy is happening. Remember, now people are all talking about it. But we've been talking about it on Red State Talk Radio forever and a day. Uh, this is how you take away their power. You know, the seeded knowledge that they put forward, right? Then they spread it and then they put you in that spot where you're giving power to what they tell you you must give power to. The only way to take it back <laughs> is by destroying it. And the only way you destroy it is by devaluing it and eradicating it from your trading system. This nation, this new Babylon we are in uh, here, this is the worst time ever. You know, there are other times that were more pleasurable where people were more pleasurable, not because they were kinder. 
or they were softer. It's because their real intent never manifested. Social media has made your choir girl have the tongue of a beast. I see it all the time. People that go to my church, right? Uh, not, not now. I'm just saying in Well, yeah, and now. <laughs> Everywhere. That are the ones that do so much good, supposedly for the house of God. Yet when you see them on social media, they are evil. Full malice. That's the inside of you. Remember, I've always said AI knows you better than you know yourself. You can portray, you can portray, but the sound of your soul comes out either way. So this is how they control you by getting to know you. Okay. This is, this is how it is. And this is why they have been allowed to pretty much take away the knowledge that you were allowed to have access to. Look at how quickly they shut down that video. Yet pornography, child pornography runs rabid on their platforms. Wait a minute. You can follow and you can delete a doctor's testimony within 24 hours on any platform in any language, no matter what obfuscation has been put in to obfuscate it's, you know, the algorithm to be able to see what's in there. And yet you cannot remove child pornography, terrorists. Yet you take that down. Do you see that? That is all you need to remember. That they have the ability to silence bad messages. They choose not to. Because the only messages they want to silence are the ones that get you thinking. <laughs> Right now on Twitter, there's little girls posing in thongs and disgusting men saying, where can I send you some bit to get that underwear? This happens all the time, all the time. And yet <laughs> we sit here saying, wow, they deleted that video, just that video, just that video. You see, that's not it. They can do it. They can remove evil people, evil videos, evil messages, but they don't want to. That's their bread and butter. And this is how you see it. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. There are so many out there right now that wish they could see clearer. You know, today I saw, uh, you know, someone throwing out some bread. Chuck Ross was like, hey, something for this steel dossier sluice to chew on. An unidentified man was with steel. He met with Bruce and Nellie Orr on July 30th, 2016. Ask me, I was there. That was Daniel J. Jones. I've been saying it a hundred million times. And this is what's so stupid. I mean, you have the evidence right there in front of you. You have the text messages that Daniel J. Jones was arranging that meeting with them. Jeez. Yet, do you see how they obfuscate? That's what I was trying to get across through uh, the show yesterday with Quite Frankly. It's all BS. 
Nobody cares. Nobody cares about the dossier. We know it's just cover. But here they are dropping little fire embers everywhere so they could just let you feed on that like crows as if you're bottom feeders. We already know who did it. We don't care about the dossier. The dossier is stupid. It's obfuscation. We want to know everything. We want to know why you had the Edward collection. We want to know why the Supreme Court justice covered for Judge Collier. We want to know why Judge Collier put her signature on that FISA warrant when she knew that they were using illegal NSA over collection. That's what we need to know. We want to know that they will be held accountable. We don't care about this dossier. This dossier was just a lie they created, a manifestation to cover themselves in case someone was left over in Congress or the Senate that kind of set a fire, you know, because you can't anger the people. You can't let them see. That's the point. That is the point. Nobody gives a crap about the dossier. The dossier was nothing but a fairy tale. So I didn't play my intro, but I will play my ads for the outro. Uh, Let's listen to my most favorite ad ever while um, I go for a break on the radio show. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward... A new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again, winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, And I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. Real news. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is the second hour of the Tory Says Show. During the break, just having coffee and kind of just going through Twitter feeds. Uh, nothing that we're not going to talk about here live. So I wanted to start um, this second hour while we wait for the CEOs of... Uh, wow, I can't believe it hasn't started. It's an hour late. So the question is, why so long? And there's 5,000 people waiting for C-SPAN to start uh, streaming it. All of these stations are waiting for it. Pretty incredible, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe there's deals being done behind the scenes that we don't know about because people don't want to go to jail. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, so uh, Chief Boyd was the, you know what? Let me play um, the clip from CBS Chicago. A tragic day for the Chicago Police Department. A 30-year veteran of the force, a high-ranking officer in the department found dead this morning in his office by apparent suicide. CBS to investigator Megan Hickey been tracking the breaking news all day. And Megan, Deputy Chief Deion Boyd had been promoted less than two weeks ago. 
Right, Brad, he had been the Area 1 commander, then just 13 days ago was promoted to deputy chief of criminal networks. His colleagues tell me they're stunned. Dion Boyd. 57-year-old Dion Boyd had decades of experience as a homicide detective and undercover narcotics officer. He also had a promising future ahead of him. Dion is one of the only exempt members to have experience as a supervisor in each bureau. Here he is getting sworn in as a deputy chief on July 15th. We are just mere mortals. <laughs> but Boyd left his office in Homan Square today amidst a somber police procession. Hundreds of marked and unmarked squad cars assembled in a heartbeat and ushered his body down the two-mile route to the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office, where he arrived with a salute. Police cars packed the street in the hot sun as the Chicago Fire Department paid tribute with the stars and stripes. To our men and women in uniform, please know that there is no shame in reaching out for help. Superintendent Brown said Boyd died by suicide but gave no other details. Police sources tell the CBS2 investigators his colleagues were trying unsuccessfully to get a hold of him on his cell phone when he was discovered in his office. It's unclear exactly when he died. But Chicago's top cop had a message for his family and his friends. Dion left people he loved here and colleagues who loved him as well. Please, officers, please, stay humble, stay human, stay safe, stay well. A 2019 study found that the Chicago police suicide rate was about 60% higher than the national law enforcement average. Superintendent Brown asked his officers to check on their colleagues and to watch for signs of stress. Live at Chicago Police Headquarters, Megan Hickey, CBS2 Investigators. Wow, how interesting is that, right? That uh, he is up high up there. And I kind of uh, mentioned it in... Uh, quite frankly, show everybody keeps thinking that, you know, these NYPD officers all died uh, and committed suicide because of what they found or what they saw. <laughs> like you said, Chief Boyd say, what did he say? We're only mere mortals. Now, what what that should tell you everything you need to know from that phrase he uttered, what that man said. Those officers in New York did not commit suicide. It had nothing to do with what they knew. Had nothing to do. You can buy someone's silence. That's the horrible part. Because everyone has a price. How many times have I said that? Those that have been listening to me for a while, I've said everybody has a price. There is not one person that doesn't have a price. It's really hard to resist. Do you know me broadcasting, tweeting, writing out articles, what it's cost me? Everything. But I have faith. I have faith that, you know, that I will have food on my table, that I will have a roof over my head. You know, I just had another contract <laughs> canceled. It's okay. I'm fine. They said coronavirus. Of course. Of course. Now, again, they will cancel you until you bend the knee. They will hurt you until you bend the knee. But what do they do when someone can't be hurt anymore? What do they do when someone realizes that they can throw their shoulders up and stand on top of you? That terrifies them. And that is what every single person should do. Every single person has a price. 
So the question is, you need to ask yourself, what price are you willing to accept for your silence, for your complacency? What price do you have? This man didn't have a price. And could he have taken his life? Probably. Because he didn't want to be bought. And he thought the only way was to escape. But we already know none of these people committed suicide. They want to know who has the goods. Remember where he came from? Detective, criminal investigations, undercover. Remember, that is how they get you. Okay, the hearing's up. Let's go. Let's go. Here we go. I'll start it from where it started so we have a few minutes in. It's actually just started, and it's only one minute in. Let's do this. Let's see the show we're gonna we're about to to visualize today. Jeez, it's insane. Here we go with a couple minute lag. At today's hearing, we'll examine how each of these companies has used this playbook to achieve and maintain dominance, and how their power shapes and affects our daily lives. So, why does this matter? Many of the practices used by these companies have harmful economic effects. They discourage entrepreneurship, destroy jobs, hike costs, and degrade quality. Simply put, they have too much power. This power staves off new forms of competition, creativity, and innovation. And while these dominant firms may still produce some new innovative products, their dominance is killing the small businesses, manufacturing, and overall dynamism that are the engines of the American economy. Several of these firms also harvest and abuse people's data to sell ads for everything from new books to dangerous so-called miracle cures. When everyday Americans learn how much of their data is being mined, they can't run away fast enough. But in many cases, there is no escape from the surveillance because there's no alternative. People are stuck with bad options. Open markets are predicated on the idea that if a company harms people, consumers, workers, and business partners will choose another option. We're here today because that choice is no longer possible. In closing, I'm confident that addressing the problems we see in these markets will lead to a stronger, more vibrant economy. Because concentrated economic power also leads to concentrated political power, this investigation also goes to the heart of whether we, as a people, govern ourselves or whether we let ourselves be governed by private monopolies. American democracy has always been at war against monopoly power. Throughout our history, we've recognized that concentrated markets and concentrated political control are incompatible with democratic ideals. When the American people confronted monopolists in the past, be it the railroads or the oil tycoons or AT&T and Microsoft, we took action to ensure no private corporation controls our economy or our democracy. We face similar challenges today. As gatekeepers of the digital economy, these platforms enjoy the power to pick winners and losers, to shake down small businesses, and enrich themselves while choking off competitors. Their ability to dictate terms, call the shots, upend entire sectors, and inspire fear represent the powers of a private government. Our founders would not bow before a king, nor should we bow before the emperors of the online economy. And with that, I now recognize the ranking member of the subcommittee, Mr. Sensenbrenner, for his opening statement. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank the CEOs for quickly working with the subcommittee to appear today. The memorial service for John Lewis on Monday required our attention. However, this hearing is vital to our oversight work, and I appreciate your flexibility. 
Throughout my long time in Congress, I have prioritized oversight as one of our seminal responsibilities. Part of that responsibility is to periodically review the effectiveness of our laws. And I think it's a good and timely thing that we are now turning our attention to technological innovations, which brings us to all of your companies. Our country stricken by a pandemic becomes a dramatic illustration of the extraordinary reliance Americans have on technological innovations. In these unexpected and unprecedented times, your companies have provided innovations so our nations can meet a myriad of our daily needs. The delivery of groceries, virtual visits with doctors, connecting socially distant families, or keeping our small and large businesses connected. With that responsibility comes an increased scrutiny of your dominance in the marketplace. I want to reiterate something I've said throughout this investigation. Being big is not inherently bad. Quite the opposite. In America, you should be rewarded for success. We are here to better understand the role your companies have in the digital marketplace, and importantly, the effect they have on consumers and the public at large. You lead some of today's more powerful companies, and my colleagues and I have a great interest about what your companies do with that accumulated power. We also know that the tech marketplace is driven by data. So it follows that those who control the data, in essence, control the marketplace. There are broader questions surrounding data. However, who owns the data? What responsibilities do companies have to share it with their customers or their competitors? What is the fair market value of that data? Is there anything monopolistic in inquiring this data? And what about monetizing it? These are complex issues that Congress, regulators, and even your own companies are wrestling with in the current technological landscape, and the answers to which we owe the American consumers. Since the tech investigation began, we have heard rumblings from many who are quick to say your successful companies have grown too large. Since this hearing was announced, it seems that those complaints have gotten even louder. While I find these complaints informative, I don't plan on it litigating each of these complaints today. Antitrust law and the consumer welfare standard have served this country well for over a century. Those laws have provided the framework and creativity to make way for some of our most successful and innovative companies. I will be the first to highlight that. However, as the business landscape involves, we must ensure that our existing antitrust laws are applied to meet the needs of our country and its consumers. I share the concern that market dominance in the digital space is ripe for abuse, particularly when it comes to free speech. As we know, companies like Facebook, Google's YouTube, and Twitter have become the public square of today where political debate unfolds in real time. But reports that dissenting views, often conservative views, are targeted or censored is seriously troubling. Conservatives are consumers too, and they need the protection of the antitrust laws. The power to influence debate carries with it remarkable responsibilities. So let the facts be our guide here. Your companies are large. That's not a problem. Your companies are successful. 
That's not a problem either. But I want to leave here today with a more complete picture of how your individual companies use your size, success, and power, and what it means to the American consumer. And I yield back the balance of my time. I thank the gentleman. Now the, ch the chair now recognizes the distinguished chairman of the full committee, the gentleman from New York, Mr. Nadler, for his opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank you, Ranking Member Sensenbrenner, and the subcommittee members for the tremendous effort that you have all put into the subcommittee's investigation. I appreciate your calling this hearing today so that we can hear directly from the leaders of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, and I look forward to an important dialogue. Today, it is effectively impossible to use the internet without using, in one way or another, the services of these four companies. I have long believed, with Thomas Jefferson and Louis Brandeis, that concentration of power in any form especially concentration of economic or political power, is dangerous to a democratic society. That is why we must examine these and other companies that play a dominant role in our economy and in our society, and ensure that our antitrust laws give enforcers the tools they need to preserve a healthy marketplace. These principles have guided this committee's year-long investigation into competition in digital market markets, and they are the lens through which I approach today's hearing. The open internet has delivered enormous benefits to Americans, including a surge of economic opportunity, massive investment, and new pathways for education online. But there is growing evidence that a handful of corporations have come to capture an outsized share of online commerce communications. From providing the dominant search platform, retail platform, and, uh, and online messaging platform, to providing the underlying mapping services and cloud computing on which hundreds of thousands of other businesses rely, these dominant platforms now comprise the essential infrastructure for the 21st century. By virtue of controlling essential infrastructure, these companies have the ability to control access to markets. In some basic ways, the problem is not unlike what we faced 130 years ago when railroads transformed American life, both enabling farmers and producers to access new markets, but also creating a key chokehold that the railroad monopolies could exploit. Railroads notoriously abuse this gatekeeper power in a variety of ways. They charge tolls, extorting the producers reliant on their rails. They, dis they discriminated among farmers, picking winners and losers across the economy. And by expanding into lines of business that competed directly with producers, they could use their dominance in transportation to favor their own services. These tactics by the railroads spurred fury and despair across the country. Congress initiated investigations to document these problems and enacted legislative solutions to halt and outlaw these anti-competitive practices in the railroad industry and other industries dominated by unregulated monopolies and trusts. Importantly, congressional oversight and legislative reforms during that, this period did not prevent or encumber the inexorable arrival of new technology or human progress. Instead, Congress recognized that these powerful new technologies had reshaped the balance of power in our economy and that it was the role of Congress to ensure that the new monopolists could not abuse their power. Today, the digital economy poses similar challenges. While the underlying technology is dramatically different, of course, new digital intermediaries have the ability to control access to critical markets. If you are an independent merchant, developer, or content producer, you are increasingly reliant on these powerful intermediaries to access markets and consumers. Across the economy, 
Many businesses live in fear of exclusion from these platforms, a fact that some companies have shared with the committee over the past year during this investigation. The subcommittee's current review of competition in the digital marketplace continues a long tradition in this committee of oversight of the antitrust laws and our economy. From the days of Chairman Emanuel Seller, the House Judiciary Committee and its antitrust subcommittee have conducted careful, fact-based inquiries into industrial sectors showing signs of consolidation and anti-competitive conduct. This has continued on a bipartisan basis over the years, from Chairman Brooks and Hyde to Chairman Sensenbrenner's and Conyers and others. As a 1950 report from the then-named Subcommittee on Monopoly Power described our mandate, quote, it is the province of this subcommittee to investigate factors which tend to eliminate competition, strengthen monopolies, injure small businesses, or promote undue concentration of economic power, to ascertain the facts and to make recommendations based on those findings. Following in this proud tradition, our investigation has held hearings with industry and government witnesses, consultations with subject matter experts, and a careful and at times painstaking review of large volumes of evidence provided by industry participants and regulators. While ultimately it is the responsibility of the antitrust enforcement agencies to enforce the law, Congress has an obligation to assess whether existing antitrust laws and competition policies and the will to enforce those laws and policies are adequate to address the competition issues facing our country and to take action if they are found to be lacking. Given the dominant role that these four companies play in our economy and our society, it is only reasonable that our careful examination of the antitrust laws begin with them. I appreciate the, the participation of all of our witnesses today. Our investigation would not be complete. Indeed, it has hardly begun without hearing directly from the decision makers of these companies. And I look forward to their testimony and to today's discussion. I yield back the balance of my time. I thank the gentleman, and I now recognize the ranking member of the full committee, the gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Jordan, for his opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, and I also want to thank the ranking member um, of this subcommittee, Mr. Sensenbrenner. I'm not sure how many more committee hearings this subcommittee or the full committee are going to have this Congress, but I want to thank Jim for his, his great work uh, for the constituents of his district in Wisconsin for this many years and for the work he has uh, done for this entire committee. Um, I'll just cut to the chase. Big tech's out to get conservatives. That's not a suspicion. That's not a hunch. That's a fact. July 20th, 2020, Google removes the homepages of Breitbart and the Daily Caller. Just last night, we learned Google has censored Breitbart so much, traffic has declined 99%. June 16th, 2020, Google threatens to demonetize and ban the Federalists. April 19th, 2020, Google and YouTube announce a policy censoring the content that conflicts with recommendations of the World Health Organization. Now think about that. The World Health Organization, the organization that lied to us, the organization that shielded for China. And if you contradict something they say, they can say whatever they want. They can lie for China. They can shield for China. You say something against them, you get censored. June 29, 2020, Amazon bans President Trump's account on Twitch after he raises concerns about defunding the police. June 4th, 2020, Amazon bans a book critical of the coronavirus lockdowns written by a conservative commentator. May 27th, 2020, Amazon Smile won't let you give to the Family Research Council and the Alliance Defense Fund, but you can give to Planned Parenthood. 
Facebook, June 19th, 2020, takes down posts from President Trump's re-election campaign. November 1st, 2018, Facebook silences a pro-life organization's advertisement. May 19th, 2016, Facebook, former Facebook employees admit Facebook routinely suppresses conservative views. And I haven't even mentioned Twitter, who we actually invited, Mr. Chairman. We asked for you guys to invite them as one of our witnesses. You guys said, no, I haven't even mentioned them two years ago. They shadow banned two members of this committee. Four members of Congress were shadow banned two years ago. 435 in the House, 100 in the Senate, 535, only four. Only four. Gates, Meadows, Nunes, Jordan, only four get shadow banned. And of course, what did Mr. Dorsey tell us? He said, oh, it was just a glitch in our algorithm. Just a gl- I asked him, what did you put in the algorithm? The name's Gates, Meadows, Nunes, Jordan? I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I heard it was just a glitch, I wouldn't be as wealthy as our witnesses, but I'd be doing all right. We've heard that excuse time and time again. May 28th, Twitter censors President Trump's tweet on the riots in Minneapolis. May 29th, 2020, Twitter censors White House, the White House for quoting the president's comments about the riots in Minneapolis. June 23rd, 2020, Twitter censors the president again for saying he'll enforce the rule of law against any autonomous zone in Washington, D.C. You can tweet all you want about the autonomous zone that happened in Seattle, but the president tweets that he's not going to have one in Washington, D.C. Oh, 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 nope, can't do that. You get banned, you get censored. Dozens of examples. Oh, I forgot one. I forgot one. Just last week, July 21st. July 21st, here's what Twitter did. The leader of Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran, this is, this is, this is from the largest state sponsor of terrorism. Twitter allows this tweet. Quote, the Islamic Republic of Iran will never forget the martyrdom of Soleimani and will definitely strike a reciprocal blow in the United States. So you can threaten the citizens of this great country, the leader of the largest state sponsor of terrorism. That's just fine. But, oh, the president says he's not going to allow some autonomous zone in D.C. and he gets he gets censored. All kinds of examples most of them from this year, and that's what's, that's what's, I think, critical for us all to understand. Most of them from this year and election year. And that's what concerns me and so many Americans. Because we saw what Google did in 2016. We all know about the email the day after the election where top executives at Google email chain where they talked about the silent donation Google made to the Clinton campaign. Now, thank goodness it wasn't enough. And in spite of their efforts to help Clinton, President Trump won. But we're 97 days before an election. And the power, as the previous chairman and ranking member have said, the power these companies have to impact what happens during an election, what people, what American citizens get to see prior to their voting is pretty darn important. That's why this committee hearing is important. Look, we... We all think the free market's great. We think competition's great. We love the fact that these are American companies. But what's not great is censoring people, censoring conservatives, and trying to impact elections. And if it doesn't end, there has to be consequences. There have to be consequences. That's what I'm concerned about, and I think what so many Americans are concerned about. So I look forward to hearing from our witnesses, Mr. Chairman. Um, And before I yield back, Mr. Chairman, we have a colleague. I would ask unanimous consent that uh, Mr. Johnson, the ranking member of the Constitution subcommittee be allowed to participate in today's hearing, which is our customary practice for subcommittee hearings. The gentleman makes a unanimous consent request. Mr. Chairman, I would object. Objection is heard.
And now have the Mr. pleasure Mr. Chairman, of choosing today's why are witnesses. We, why are we not allowing? It is customary. Mr. Jordan, there was a unanimous consent request. Objection was heard. And now we'll introduce our witnesses. This has never happened. It is now my pleasure never to introduce happened to the today's Committee. witnesses. Our first witness is Jeff Bezos, the chief executive this officer. Is Mr. Jordan, I have the time. But this is the ranking Our member first of the witness We're talking about people's liberties here. We have Mr. the ranking Mr. Jordan, member. you made a unanimous consent request. Objection was heard. Those are our rules. Objection was heard. It is now my pleasure the, to introduce today's witnesses. By the Mr. Our first witness professor. is Jeff Bezos, the chief Put your mask officer on. of Amazon.com. Mr. Bezos founded Amazon in 19... 19- Excuse me. I'm going to remind members of this committee, unless you are speaking, our rules require you to wear a mask according to the attending physician. No, I'm speaking about another member of this committee. I'll begin again. It is now my pleasure to introduce today's witnesses. Our first witness is Jeff Bezos, the chief executive officer of Amazon.com. Mr. Bezos founded Amazon in 1994 as an online bookstore. Since then, Amazon has grown to be the largest online retailer on the Internet. Mr. Bezos has also overseen his company's expansion into areas including cloud computing, digital streaming, and artificial intelligence. Mr. Bezos received his Bachelor's of Science from Princeton University. Our second witness, Sundar Pichai, is the chief executive officer of both Alphabet and its subsidiary, Google. Mr. Pichai joined Google in 2004 and has helped manage a number of successful products, including Google Chrome, Gmail, and the Android operating system. Mr. Pichai also oversaw the company's popular search products. Prior to his time at Google, Mr. Pichai worked in management consulting at McKinsey. Mr. Pichai received a degree in metallurgical engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology, a master's degree from Stanford University, and an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Our third witness is Tim Cook, the chief executive officer of Apple. Mr. Cook joined Apple in 1998 and served as its chief uh, operational officer under Steve Jobs. In 2011, Mr. Cook was named CEO. While at Apple, he has overseen their expansion into new markets through the launch and developments of products and services like Apple Pay, Apple Watch, iCloud, Apple Card, and HomePod. Prior to joining Apple, Mr. Cook served as the Director of North American Fulfillment for IBM. <coughs> Mr. Cook received a Bachelor of Science from Auburn University and an MBA from Duke University's Fuquia School of Business. The last witness at today's hearing is Mark Zuckerberg, founder, chairman, and CEO of Facebook. Mr. Zuckerberg initially launched Facebook in order to help connect college students at his school more easily. Since then, the company has grown into the world's largest social media platform with 1.7 billion global daily active users. Mr. Zuckerberg attended Harvard University before leaving to focus full-time on developing Facebook. We welcome all of our distinguished witnesses and thank them for participating in today's hearing. And now we'll begin by swearing you in. And before I do that, uh, I want to also remind you that you are the only ones from your respective companies invited to testify today. And that in accordance with normal House practice and Section G of the House Remote Committee proceeding regulations, your sworn testimony must be your own. Please let me know if at any point in the hearing you wish to mute yourself so you can confer with your counsel. So will you please unmute your microphones and raise your right hands. Do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the testimony you are out to give is true and correct to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief? So help you God. Yes. Yes. Let the record show the witnesses answered in the affirmative. Thank you. And you may remain seated. Please note that your written statements will be entered into the record in their entirety. Accordingly, I ask that you summarize your testimony in five minutes. 
to help you stay within that time, there is a timing light in WebEx. When the light switches from green to yellow, you have one minute to conclude your testimony. When the light turns red, it signals your five minutes have expired. Mr. Bezos, you may begin. Thank you, Chairman Cicilline, Ranking Member Sensenbrenner, and members of the subcommittee. I was born into great wealth, not monetary wealth, but instead the wealth of a loving family, a family that fostered my curiosity and encouraged me to dream big. My mom, Jackie, had me when she was a 17-year-old high school student in Albuquerque. Being pregnant in high school was not popular. The school tried to kick her out, but she was allowed to finish after my grandfather negotiated terms with the principal. She couldn't have a locker, no extracurriculars, and couldn't walk across the stage to get her diploma. She graduated and was determined to continue her education, so she enrolled in night school, bringing me, her infant son, to class with her throughout. My dad's name is Miguel. He adopted me when I was four. He was 16 when he came to the U.S. from Cuba by himself shortly after Castro took over. My dad didn't speak English, and he did not have an easy path. What he did have was grit and determination. He received a scholarship to college in Albuquerque, which is where he met my mom. Together with my grandparents, these hardworking, resourceful, and loving people made me who I am. I walked away from a steady job on Wall Street into a Seattle garage to found Amazon, fully understanding that it might not work. It feels like just yesterday I was driving the packages to the post office myself, dreaming that one day we might afford a forklift. Customer obsession has driven our success, and I take it as an article of faith that customers notice when you do the right thing. You earn trust slowly over time by doing hard things well, delivering on time, offering everyday low prices, making promises and keeping them, and making principled decisions, even when they are unpopular. And our approach is working. 80% of Americans have a favorable impression of Amazon overall. Who do Americans trust more than Amazon to do the right thing? Only their doctors and the military. The retail market we participate in is extraordinarily large and competitive. Amazon accounts for less than 1% of the $25 trillion global retail market and less than 4% of U.S. retail. There's room in retail for multiple winners. We compete against large, established players like Target, Costco, Kroger, and, of course, Walmart, a company more than twice Amazon's size. Twenty years ago, we made the decision to invite other sellers to sell in our store to share the same valuable real estate we spent billions to build, market, and maintain. We believe that combining the strengths of Amazon's store with the vast selection of products offered by third parties would be a better experience for customers, and that the growing pie of revenue and profits would be big enough for all. We were betting that it was not a zero-sum game. Fortunately, we were right. There are now 1.7 million small and medium-sized businesses selling on Amazon. The trust customers put in us every day has allowed Amazon to create more jobs in the United States over the past decade than any other company. Hundreds of thousands of jobs across 42 states. Amazon employees make a minimum of $15 an hour, more than double the federal minimum wage. And we offer the best benefits, benefits that include comprehensive health insurance, 401k retirement, 
and parental leave, which includes 20 weeks of paid maternity leave. More than any place on earth, entrepreneurial companies start, grow, and thrive here in the U.S. We nurture entrepreneurs and startups with stable rule of law, the finest university system in the world, the freedom of democracy, and a deeply accepted culture of risk-taking. Of course, this great nation of ours is far from perfect. Even as we remember Congressman John Lewis and honor his legacy, we're in the middle of a much-needed race reckoning. We also face the challenges of climate change and income inequality, and we're stumbling through the crisis of a global pandemic. Still, with all of our faults and problems, the rest of the world would love even the tiniest sip of the elixir we have here in the U.S. Immigrants like my dad see what a treasure this country is. They have perspective and often can see it even more clearly than those of us who were lucky enough to be born here. It is still day one for this country, and even in the face of today's humbling challenges, I have never been more optimistic about our future. I appreciate the opportunity to appear before you today, and I'm very happy to take your questions. Thank you, Mr. Bezos. Uh, Mr. Burchai, you are now recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Sensenbrenner, and members of the subcommittee. Before I start, I know this hearing was delayed because of the ceremonies to honor the life of your colleague, Representative John Lewis. Because of his courage, this world is a better place. He'll be deeply missed. At its heart, a discussion about competition is a discussion about opportunity. This has never been more important as the global pandemic poses dual challenges to our health and our economy. Expanding access to opportunity through technology is personal to me. I didn't have much access to a computer growing up in India. So you can imagine my amazement when I arrived in the US for graduate school and saw an entire lab of computers to use whenever I wanted. Accessing the internet for the first time set me on a path to bring technology to as many people as possible. It inspired me to build Google's first browser, Chrome. I'm proud that 11 years later, so many people experience the web through Chrome for free. Google takes pride in the number of people who choose our products. We are even prouder of what they do with them. From the 140 million students and teachers using G Suite for education to stay connected during the pandemic, to the 5 million Americans gaining digital skills through Grow with Google, to all the people who turn to Google for help, from finding the fastest route home to learning how to cook a new dish on YouTube. Google's work would not be possible without the long tradition of American innovation, and we are proud to contribute to its future. We employ more than 75,000 people in the US across 26 states. The Progressive Policy Institute estimated that in 2018, we invested more than $20 billion in the US, citing us as the largest capital investor in America that year, and one of the top five for the last three years. One way we contribute is by building helpful products. Research found that free services like Search, Gmail, Maps, and Photos provide thousands of dollars a year in value to the average American. And many are small businesses using our digital tools to grow. Stone Dimensions, a family-owned stone company in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, uses Google My Business to draw more customers. 
Gills Appliances, a family-owned appliance store in Bristol, Rhode Island, credits Google Analytics with helping them reach customers online during the pandemic. Nearly one-third of small business owners say that without digital tools, they would have had to close all or part of their business during COVID. Another way we contribute is by being among the world's biggest investors in research and development. At the end of 2019, our R&D spend had increased tenfold over 10 years, uh, from $2.8 billion to $26 billion, and we have invested over $90 billion the last five years. Our engineers are helping America remain a global leader in emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, and quantum computing. Just as America's technology leadership is not inevitable, Google's continued success is not guaranteed. New competitors emerge every day, and today users have more access to information than ever before. Competition drives us to innovate, and it also leads to better products, lower choices, and more choices for everyone. For example, competition helped lower online advertising costs by 40% over the last decade, with savings passed down to consumers. Open platforms like Android also support the innovation of others. Using Android, thousands of mobile operators build and sell their own devices without paying any licensing fees to us. This has enabled billions of consumers to afford cutting-edge smartphones, some for less than $50. Whether building tools for small businesses or platforms like Android, Google succeeds when others succeed. Competition also sets higher standards for privacy and security. I've always believed that privacy is a universal right, and Google is committed to keeping your information safe, treating it responsibly, putting you in control, and we've long supported the creation of comprehensive federal privacy laws. I've never forgotten how access to technology and innovation changed the course of my life. Google aims to build products that increase access to opportunity for everyone. No matter where you live, what you believe, or how much money you earn, we are committed to doing this responsibly in partnership with lawmakers to ensure every American has access to the incredible opportunity technology creates. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pichai. Mr. Cook is now recognized for five minutes. Chairman Cicillania Nadler, Ranking Member Brenner, and Jordan, members of the subcommittee, Thank you for the opportunity to offer testimony. Before I begin, I want to recognize the life and legacy of John Lewis. I join you in mourning not only a hero, but someone I knew personally, whose example inspires and guides me still. Every American owes John Lewis a debt, and I feel fortunate to hail from a state and a country that benefited so profoundly from his leadership. My name is Tim Cook. I've been Apple CEO since 2011 and a proud employee of this uniquely American company since 1998. At Apple, we make ourselves a promise and our customers a promise. It's a promise that we'll only build things that make us proud. As Steve put it, we only make things that we'd recommend to our family and friends. You can try to define this difference in a lot of ways. You can call it the seamless integration of hardware and software. You can call it simplicity of design or a great ecosystem. All of those things are true. 
But if you want to put it simply, products like iPhone just work. When customers consistently give iPhone a 99% satisfaction rating, that's the message they're sending about the user experience. But we also know that customers have a lot of choices and that our products face fierce competition. Companies like Samsung, LG, Huawei, and Google have built successful businesses with different approaches. We're okay with that. Our goal is the best, not the most. In fact, we don't have a dominant share in any market or in any product category where we do business. What does motivate us is that timeless drive to build new things that we're proud to show our users. We focus relentlessly on those innovations, on deepening core principles like privacy and security, and on creating new features. In 2008, we introduced a new feature of the iPhone called the App Store. Launched with 500 apps, which seemed like a lot at the time, the App Store provided a safe and trusted way for users to get more out of their phone. We knew the distribution options for software developers at the time didn't work well. Brick and mortar stores charged high fees and had limited reach. Physical media like CDs had to be shipped and were hard to update. From the beginning, the App Store was a revolutionary alternative. Okay, we're going to skip ahead. Apps- I can't do this. Okay. In the App Store's more than 10-year history, we have never raised the commission or added raised the commission or added a single fee. In fact, we've reduced it for subscriptions and exempted additional categories of apps. I'm here today because scrutiny is reasonable and appropriate. We approach this process with respect and humility, but we make no concession on the facts. What began as 500 apps is now more than 1.7 million, only 60 of which are Apple software. If Apple is a gatekeeper, what we've done is open the gate wider. We want to get every app we can on the store, not keep them off. The App Store's economic contributions are significant. The ecosystem is responsible for 1.9 million jobs in all 50 states, and it facilitated $138 billion in commerce in the U.S. in 2019 alone. I share the committee's belief that competition promotes innovation, that it makes space for the next great idea, and that it gives consumers more choices. Since Apple was founded, these things have defined us. The first Mac brought opportunity and possibility into the home. The iPod helped musicians and artists to share their creations and be paid fairly for it. This legacy does much more than make us proud. It inspires us to work tirelessly to make sure tomorrow will be even better than today. Thank you very much. I look forward to responding to your questions. Thank you, Mr. Cook. Mr. Zuckerberg is now recognized for five minutes. Thank you. Before I begin, I want to add my voice to those honoring Congressman John Lewis and his service to our country. America has lost a real hero who never stopped fighting for the rights of every person. Chairman Cicilline, Ranking Member Sensenbrenner, and members of the subcommittee, thank you for the opportunity to testify. The tech industry is an American success story. The products we build have changed the world and improved people's lives. Our industry is one of the ways that America shares its values with the world and one of our greatest economic and cultural exports. Facebook is part of this story. We started with an idea to give people the power to share and connect. 
and we've built services that billions of people find useful. I'm proud that we've given people who've never had a voice before the opportunity to be heard and given small businesses access to tools that only the largest players used to have. Since COVID emerged, I'm proud that people have used our services to stay in touch with friends and family who they can't be with in person and to keep their small businesses running online when physical stores are closed. I believe that Facebook and the US tech industry are a force for innovation and empowering people. But I recognize that there are concerns about the size and power of tech companies. Our services are about connection and our business model is advertising and we face intense competition in both. Many of our competitors have hundreds of millions or billions of users. Some are upstarts, but others are gatekeepers with the power to decide if we can even release our apps in their app stores to compete with them. In many areas, we're behind our competitors. The most popular messaging service in the US is iMessage. The fastest growing app is TikTok. The most popular app for video is YouTube. The fastest growing ads platform is Amazon. The largest ads platform is Google. And for every dollar spent on advertising in the US, less than 10 cents is spent with us. We're here to talk about online platforms, but I think the true nature of competition is much broader. When Google bought YouTube, they could compete against the dominant player in video, which is the cable industry. When Amazon bought Whole Foods, they could compete against Kroger's and Walmart. When Facebook bought WhatsApp, we could compete against telcos who used to charge 10 cents a text message, but not anymore. Now people can watch video, get groceries delivered, and send private messages for free. That's competition. New companies are created all the time, all over the world. And history shows that if we don't keep innovating, someone will replace every company here today. And that change can often happen faster than you expect. Of the 10 most valuable companies a decade ago, only three still make that list today. And if you look at where the top technology companies come from, a decade ago, the vast majority were American. Today, almost half are Chinese. Aside from competition, there are other serious issues related to the internet, including questions about elections, harmful content, and privacy. And while these are not antitrust issues and are not specifically the topic of today's hearing, I recognize that we are often at the center of these discussions. We build platforms for sharing ideas and important debates play out across our services. I believe that this ultimately leads to more progress, but it means we often find ourselves in the middle of deep disagreements about social issues and high stakes elections. I personally don't believe that private companies should be making so many decisions about these issues by themselves. And that's why last year I made the case that there needs to be new regulation for the internet. Facebook stands for a set of basic principles, giving people voice and economic opportunity, keeping people safe, upholding democratic traditions like freedom of expression and voting, and enabling an open and competitive marketplace. These are fundamental values for most of us, but not for everyone in the world, not for every company we compete with or the countries they represent. And as global competition increases, there is no guarantee that our values will win out. I'm proud of the services we build and how they improve people's lives. We compete hard. We compete fairly. We try to be the best. That's what I was taught matters in this country. And when we succeed, it's because we deliver great experiences that people love. Thank you, and I look forward to answering your questions.
Thank you, and I thank, thank the witnesses for your opening statements. Uh, before I begin recognizing members for questioning under the five-minute rule, without objection, I'm going to enter into the hearing record the documents and exhibits majority members will be referencing in their questioning today. These materials have been distributed to the witnesses. I will now recognize myself for five minutes. Mr. Bachai, over 85% of all online searches go through Google. Every online company in the United States depends on Google to reach users. A business may sink or swim based on Google's decisions alone. Numerous online businesses told us that Google steals their content and privileges its own sites in ways that profit Google but crush everyone else. Most businesses asked to stay anonymous due to fears that Google would retaliate against them. One entrepreneur, Brian Warner, told us his website was thriving until Google stole his content. After Google's decision, traffic to his website dropped by 80%. He had to downsize his business and lay off half his staff. He told us, and I quote, if someone came to me with an idea for a website or a web service today, I'd tell them to run. Run as far away from the web as possible. Launch a lawn care business or dog grooming business, something Google can't take away as soon as he or she is thriving. So my first question, Mr. Bichai, is why does Google steal content from honest businesses? Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, with respect, uh, I disagree with that characterization. Just last week, I met with many small businesses. In fact, today we support 1.4 million small businesses, supporting over $385 billion in economic activity. We see many businesses thrive, particularly even during the pandemic. Businesses, an example, Kettle Kings in Texas, which sells kettlebells, they've really expanded. I have a limited amount of time, so I don't want to interrupt you, but my question is very specific. We heard throughout this investigation that Google has stolen content to build your own business. These are consistent reports. And so uh, it, your, your testimony that that doesn't happen is really inconsistent with what we've learned during the course of the investigation. But, but I'll move on to a, to a new question. Uh, Mr. Pichai, most Americans believe that when they enter a search query that what Google shows are the most relevant results. But increasingly, Google just shows whatever is most profitable for Google, be it Google ads or Google's own sites. So my question, Mr. Pichai, isn't there a fundamental conflict of interest between serving users who want to access the best and most relevant information and Google's business model, which incentivizes Google to sell ads and keep users on Google's own sites? We have always focused on providing users the most relevant information, and we rely on the trust for users to come back to Google every day. In fact, a vast majority of uh, queries in Google, we don't show ads at all. And we show ads only for a small subset of queries where the intent from users is highly commercial. For example, they may be looking for something like TV sets or so on. But, Mr. Bichai, so, what, what is the value of the part that you do use the Google ads for? I mean, it's a substantial part of your business. What's the, what's the actual uh, value? $200 billion, $300 billion? Uh, uh, You know, in terms of revenue, uh, it's around 100, 100 plus billion dollars. Okay. But, uh, That's a know, lot of money, Mr. Bichai. Let me move on. Uh, it really, Mr. Bichai, it's Google's business model that is the problem. Our documents show that Google evolved from a turnstile to the rest of the web to a walled garden that increasingly keeps users within its sites. Emails show that over a decade ago, Google started to fear competition from certain websites, web pages that could divert search traffic and revenue from Google. These documents show that Google staff discussed the proliferating threat, is how it was described, that these web pages posed to Google. Any traffic loss to other sites was a loss in revenue. One of Google's memos observed that certain websites were getting, and I quote, too much traffic. 
So Google decided to put an end to that. Mr. Bachaya, you've been at Google since 2004. Were you involved in these discussions about the threat from vertical search? Uh, Congressman, uh, without knowing the specifics, it's uh, you know uh, not fully clear of the context. But definitely, when we look at vertical searches, it validates the competition we see. For example, when users come looking to shop online, independent studies show that over 55% of product searches originate with Amazon and over 70% originate with the major e-commerce companies. In the few categories which are commercial in nature, we see vigorous competition, be it travel, be it real estate, and, and we are working hard. Well, let me on ask users, very specifically, Mr. Bichai. The evidence that we collected shows that Google pursued a multi-pronged attack. First, Google began to steal other web pages' content. For example, in 2010, Google stole restaurant reviews from Yelp to bootstrap its own rival local search business. Mr. Bichai, do you know how Google responded when Yelp asked you to stop stealing their reviews? Well, I'll tell you. Our investigation shows that Google's response was to threaten to delist Yelp entirely. In other words, the choice Google gave Yelp was... Now, on that note, I want to wish you guys a wonderful evening. God bless from all of us here at Red State. And I'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place.